Howdy friends and welcome back to another episode of the Euphoria Health Podcast. It's been a long time since you've heard from me and I do apologize for that. There's been a lot of work going on behind the scenes up here in Darwin with some exciting things coming to fruition in the near future. I'm absolutely loving it up here. The cricket's amazing. The friendships and the community that has been created from this experience is just a once in a lifetime thing so I'm super grateful for all that and the like-minded individuals that I've come across has been so so inspiring. For anyone that is new to the show, firstly welcome along. I hope that the content on the show provided by the incredible guests and I serve you and help elevate your quality of life by encouraging you to make more healthful decisions day in, day out. My name is Matt Sapala and I am your host. I'm a qualified personal trainer and currently studying a Bachelor of Health Science majoring in nutrition. I have a passion for health and longevity and everything that falls on the spectrum of health. My coaching philosophy and everything I stand by is to not provide you with any quick fixes. I don't want to be the coach that provides you with the quick solution to your problem. I want to be the coach that targets root cause and is your only fix. Guys, this week's special guest is really aligned with that. Ali McLean, welcome back to the Euphoria Health podcast for episode 87. I'm so excited to share this information with you all today as we take a deep dive into the realm of intermittent fasting. This is quite a hot topic commonly used for weight loss or associated with their health and wellness field for weight loss. But basically, what you're doing with intermittent fasting is just restricting your eating window. There are a whole array of other beneficial health outcomes from this tool, but when it is done incorrectly, it has a downside too. I guess it was so inspiring to highlight that in the show, and I'm really grateful that Ali explains to us firstly what constitutes a fast and why it's beneficial as well as where to begin on your fasting regime. As humans, we are often all or nothing, but Ali explains today why training your fasting muscle or easing into the intermittent fasting realm is vital to experience the positive effects from the tool. As usual, guys, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Spotify and leave a little rating and review if you're loving the content. Ali, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with the Euphoria Health community today. Friends, I hope you enjoy the episode. That's all from me, and as usual, I'll see you on the other side. Ali McLean, welcome back to the Euphoria Health podcast for your third, fourth, fifth time? I can't quite remember. Hey, Matt, this is my fourth time on the fourth. show. Well, you're yeah, an absolute hopefully you don't veteran. start getting... Hopefully don't start getting emails requesting for uh, different guests on the show. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm pretty sure the community is loving the content that you're putting out. I personally am. That's why I keep asking you to come back on the show. Um, Yeah, it's been amazing being able to pick your brain like I've touched on in earlier podcasts. You're a wealth of knowledge and to be able to share that with the community is so, so exciting. So you guys are in for an absolute treat today. We're going to digest or break down and hopefully you guys are going to digest a lot of information regarding some fasting. I know it's a hot topic at the moment, Ali, regarding like intermittent fasting and especially coming up into winter. I feel like it's 
being talked about a lot. I'm not sure if that's happening in your circle as well. Uh, it's it's a hot topic. I talk about it, you know, every single day. It doesn't matter on what season it is. I talk about it often, and it's just it is a very helpful. I would guess say I would say tool bag tool in my bag of tricks or bag of tools that I can use with my clients for a number of reasons from digestive health and ease to fat loss to metabolic disease uh, risk prevention. So I talk about it constantly for a myriad of reasons with my clients in clinic. And then I guess outside of clinic, um, there's a lot of myth busting when it comes to intermittent fasting, which we might get to today. I'm sure we'll get to today, but you know, should you do exercise during intermittent fasting? Can women intermittent fast, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of questions around it and that's why it is really nice like to learn about it but then to make sure that you learn sort of I guess the do's and don'ts and how they apply to you and maybe even get tailored advice around it because it is something that I think can be misconstrued if you don't do enough research into it which is why when you asked to to sort of I guess um, talk on this topic I was really open to it because I think there is a lot that gets missed. You know, there's a lot of information that gets missed because people read just one article, for example, or they just hear what their their best friend's brother's doing and try and follow that, you know? Yeah, it's so funny. I was having this conversation the other day about how us humans, we get our health advice off the person next to us or off our Facebook newsfeed, and then we really don't bat an eyelid. But as soon as we we get a uh, qualified professional telling us what to do, we suddenly have a million and one questions. So it's super, super <laughs> interesting. And I think this is a, a really good opportunity for you guys to get the up-to-date practical information and, and avoid those misconceptions that we do see. But before we get into this fasting realm, Ali, I'm really, really excited to talk about a program that you ran at the beginning of the year, and it was a, called the Plant-Based Kickstarter. And basically, I'll give a brief overview, and then you can talk more in depth, Ali, obviously. But basically, this was encouraging people to just ditch the labels a little bit and incorporate more plant-based whole foods into their lifestyle. And I guess I'll hand the reins over to you to explain a little bit more about that. Yeah, thanks for asking. Plant-Based Kickstarter is a program that I've been thinking about <clears throat> for well, a number of years now. And then last year, just before lockdown hit, I actually started writing the program <clears throat> and got, sorry about that, um, got, I guess, sidetracked a little bit because with lockdown and COVID last year, sort of business took off and I was quite busy. But it, I found the time and put it all together and I launched it at the end of 2020. And our first program started in February of this year so February 2021 and really it, it's a platform for you know kickstarter so it's a platform for people who either want to kickstart an already existing plant-based diet either because they're not getting the health benefits they were expecting or they need to lose some some weight or gain some blood sugar control or just want to look at doing plant-based a different way or kickstart for people that want to enter plant-based a plant-based approach to their nutrition for the first time um and you know I had people from both camps doing doing the program in February this year and a lot of awesome feedback from people around um how I guess how how prepared they feel to to be able to go on and 
you know, create their own recipes and create their own meal planning and center around plant-based foods. So the program was five weeks in total. The first week was what I would call a prep week. So there was a different um, seminar every day that people could access via their learning portal. Uh, and that ranged from, you know, why you want to go plant-based through the through to micronutrient details on a plant-based diet. And then after that first week, we launched into meal planning. So every week, um, people that did the program got access to a meal plan, lots of, you know, what I would say are my yummy um, whole food, um, higher fat plant-based uh, meals. I can vouch for those week- too. Those recipes are amazing. <laughs> Thank you. Um, And every week we did a Facebook live seminar. So we did seminars on digestive health, micronutrient requirements, intermittent fasting, uh, and um, some mix around plant-based nutrition. So that was the first, the first plant-based Kickstarter that I've run. And the next one will commence in July, 2021. So I'm currently sort of gathering feedback from uh, the cohort that did the first program and we'll use that to to feed into the 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 July uh, the July program, basically just getting feedback on you know how easy were the recipes to prepare and how much did the rest of the family enjoy them and how, you know did they want more content, less content, more live stuff, more pre recorded stuff. So yeah, I'm looking forward to version 1.2 coming out in July 2021. I love that, Ali. It sounds super, super exciting, especially from the educational point of view. Like I love how you're taking these members of the of the program on a journey with with you, right? Because knowledge is power, yeah, and education is such a useful tool. And if we can start to utilize the education that you have and or utilize the knowledge that you have and, and really implement that in our life, I think that that's how we create sustainable change. Yeah, definitely. Well, <clears throat> I guess... A couple of years ago, I actually had this, I told my friends around like the dinner table, I was like, I think I'm going to start vegan November. And they were like, Ellie, it doesn't even have a ring to it. Like, <laughs> like tell us about it. And I was like, well, I just, I just want to like something that will help inspire people to eat less meat. And so maybe like, because um, I think November 1st or 2nd or 3rd or 4th is World Vegan Day. So I was like, well, I'll just like start this vegan November. That was in 2016. And that would have done nothing, <laughs> you know, just having a label on a month. But you, when I when I started to conceptualise plant-based Kickstarter, I was like, okay, this has got legs. This is actually going to help people understand you know, why to eat more, why they should eat more plants, how they should eat more plants and how they should like tailor the approach to to suit their, their health and their goals. So yeah, it definitely creates some sustainability around a more plant focused approach to nutrition. Yeah, absolute gold there, Ali. I, I totally agree with everything you said. And for people that at home that have their ears ringing and they're really, really keen to get started, where can they find out more about your next program and, and basically a further in-depth description about what the next one's going to entail? So if they want to find out more, head to my website, which is nutritionally.com. Uh, and then there's a plant-based section on the website. So just go to the plant-based section. It will direct you to the, the landing page for plant-based Kickstarter. Cool. And for you guys, I'll have the link, the direct link in the show notes for you to go for easy access. Now, Ali, I'm really, really excited to unpack this big, big can of worms on fasting. I think a really good place to start for people at home is what defines a fast and what is the, you know, what, what does it entail? Like we, we hear it all the time, fasting, intermittent fasting, there's so many different variations, but, but what mm. it actually is it? 
Yeah. So the reality is, is that there's no clear cut like definition of um, intermittent fasting or fasting. There are many different ways to fast. So I guess the the simplest way to to consider what fasting is is essentially the manipulation of your eating windows or your your fasting periods. Okay, so that is that is at its very simplest, and then we break it down to different forms of fasting. So intermittent fasting, which is you know extended periods of not eating or fasting, and shorter periods of eating, so a shorter eating window. Intermittent fasting often also, I guess, gets called time-restricted feeding. Um, so, and that's sort of what I would use from a clinical point of view. This combination, or this combination of a, a, an extended overnight fast and a shorter eating window. So that's really what time-restricted feeding or intermittent fasting is. There's extensions of it. So there's more extended fasting, which would be anything beyond like a 24-hour fast. I don't tend to use extended fasting in a clinical setting very often. Uh, and I, I definitely wouldn't recommend it in this, in this sort of um, scenario where we don't have much of an idea of the sort of the end user and, and their current health, health status and and current level of metabolic flexibility. So let's, I guess, for today's discussion, um, center it around intermittent fasting or time-restrictive feeding, because that's just, that's really what people are, are, are leaning to or, or referring to when they're asking the question about fasting. Yeah, totally. I, I, I agree wholeheartedly with you. And there's a lot of, you know, things that we read on social media and whatnot about extended periods of fasting and juice fasting and all those different variations. But I, I really like the idea of just focusing on this on intermittent fasting. Now for people at home that might be thinking, scrunching up their face and thinking, Oh my God, there's no way that I can go that long or however many hours that, that constitutes intermittent fasting yeah. without eating. Like how do, how do we get started with something like that? And how do we sort of like ease that, that emotional pressure regarding not eating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, how to go to sort of how long the fast might be, just to go back a step to what that looks like, um, you know, you've got a, a version of intermittent fasting, which I would call like, let's call it level one, which would be simply trying to achieve 12 hours overnight. And for some people, that might be where they need to start. And then the next step would be to look at going 14 hours. There's even a step before that, which is 13 hours. Um, with some really strong evidence around the benefits of a 13 hour overnight fast for women and breast cancer preve prevention. Uh, then the extension of that would be 14 hours. The next step beyond that would be a 16 hour overnight fast. And then the step beyond that would be an 18 hour overnight fast. So, there, I guess that within intermittent fasting, they're the different versions of an overnight fast that I would generally sort of um, utilize in a clinical setting. And before getting there, people need to earn their stripes. Or well, that's how I describe it. You need to earn your stripes in order to be able to start increasing that overnight fast. And so if there's people that are, yes, yeah, screwing up their face or they, you know, they get those signs of like, constriction within their body uh, all those feelings of um, constriction within their body then really 
that individual, first of all, has to be able to go four to five hours between their main meals of the day before even thinking about an extended overnight fast. Okay, so not even talking about diving straight into an extended overnight fast here. We're talking about just getting appetite control. If somebody can currently only go two or three hours without eating, or experiencing hangries or other signs of poor blood sugar control, um, you know, like sweaty palms when they haven't eaten um, or cravings when they haven't eaten or irritability, the hangries, then that's where that person has to start. They have to start by trying to get the four to five hours of satiety between their main meals. Once those four to five hours of satiety can be achieved, that's when I recommend somebody starts to look at intermittent fasting or the extension of their overnight fasts. So I guess the simple answer is if somebody is sitting there listening to this conversation or other conversations around fasting and it immediately evokes some fear in them, then start by looking at how far you can go between your main meals. If that's, you know, that four to five hours is achievable, then go the next step and start looking at a 12 hour overnight fast. Once that 12 hour fast feels achievable, then go to the 13 hour overnight fast. So there's nothing wrong with taking your time to prepare your body for the use of intermittent fasting. It's like going to the gym, right? You're not going to go exactly 100 kilos straight away. You're going to work your way up to it. Precisely, it's strengthening that fasting muscle. Uh, And so, yeah, I often would say to clients, you don't go straight in and try and lift, I don't know, yeah, 10 kilo dumbbell or whatever the example might be. You start low and you build up from there. And it's exactly the same with intermittent fasting because there are a lot of powerful benefits of intermittent fasting, which I'm sure we'll get into in this discussion. But unfortunately, if somebody goes in too hard too quickly, they'll experience the negatives of intermittent fasting and therefore not, not ever have an opportunity to truly experience the benefits of intermittent fasting. Um, there is a practitioner by the name of Dr. Will Cole who's written a book called Intuitive Fasting. And I've been using that, that phrase a lot now when it comes to fasting because there has to be a level of intuition associated with it. Um, you know, postponing your first meal of the day should not be an experience that causes stress, irritability, angst, moodiness, reactivity. It should be a process that just feels natural. Um, And that's what intuitive is, right? Like intuitively being able to go up to 16 hours without eating. Um, I'll give you an example of like myself today. I um, had the intention of doing a 16-hour overnight fast today. Um, I did a yoga class this morning, which is fairly low intensity, um, although I decided to take up the level of intensity of the class just for myself. Um, And then I went for a run, which I had anticipated would be a low-intensity run, but I ended up doing hills in there, and I just it ended up being higher intensity. And... About an hour and a half after the run, I was just like, no, obviously that's what I did this morning was higher intensity than I'd anticipated it being. This morning's not a morning for me to try and achieve a 16 hour overnight fast. It's not worth it. 
And I was legitimately feeling hungry and like I needed to replenish after those sessions. So that's what I mean by like intuition. You can perhaps go into the day with an intention of fasting, but things might change. You know, if you're me, you're an idiot who decides to do double chaturangas and run hills on what was supposed to be a, you know, an aerobic run. So you change the plan and you, you, you listen to your body and you break the fast if you need to. Ali, I want to park that thought right there because I think we can unpack that a little bit further later on in the topic regarding replenishing um, like nutrients after a high-intensity training session. Um, and I think that's really an important, for, an important topic to touch on. But going back a step further, when you're talking about comfortability, um, like fasting overnight, I think that gives a lot of people some sort of ease to their anxiety regarding not eating because you're going to be sleeping anyway. So you've already ticking off that eight to 10 to 12 hours, however many hours that you're sleeping. If you're lucky to get 12, that's amazing. Good job. But you know, like a big chunk of that pie is already taken out from you sleeping. So I think like the, the hours of actually fasting while we're awake are not that drastic in terms of mm. in the grand scheme of things. Like obviously it's a, it's a yeah. process of building up to it, but yeah. Yeah. So if we look at like the practicalities of it um, for the sake of circadian rhythm, usually it's suggested that you might break, you might um, start your fast in the evening after dinner. So, you know, let's say you have dinner at 6.30, 7 o'clock, you'd begin fasting at 7.30 p.m. If you're doing a 12-hour overnight fast, then you'd be breaking that fast the next day at 7.30 a.m. And let's say you were working up to a 16-hour overnight fast, which is, a, um, a I guess, a, a widely researched version of intermittent fasting, that 16 hours would take you to 11.30 a.m. So for a lot of people, like, yeah, the 12 hours is super easy. It just means that you don't snack on anything after you have dinner and then the next morning, you know, you don't have breakfast until 7.30 a.m. Over the course of the fast, usually you would stick to just liquids and non-calorie containing liquids, yeah? Um, so that means water, herbal teas, maybe black coffee, maybe black tea. If you want to get that overnight fast up to 16 hours uh, or extend it beyond 12 hours and you're, you, know, you can't quite do it just on liquids, there is a version of intermittent fasting that would suggest having some fats in the, in the fast. And this is where things like you may have heard of them being referred to as bulletproof coffees or fat black coffees. I call them MCT coffees. This is where they can come into play. So essentially it's a drink, which might be coffee based or it could be cacao based or turmeric powder based that has hot water and then you blend it with a fat source. And that could be a plant-based fat option, like a combination of cacao butter and some MCT oil, um, or, you know, if you, if you choose to eat dairy, it could be uh, dairy butter with some MCT oil. You blend that up and it's basically a, a high fat, but low carbohydrate, low protein drink. So I guess helping to make sense of why we use that drink, it'd be helpful to understand the purpose of intermittent fasting. So the purpose of intermittent fasting is to essentially extend and support your fat burning ability. 
There are other benefits to intermittent fasting, but ultimately that's what it is. Because when you extend the fast, especially if it's extended beyond 10 hours, you're forcing the body to start burning fat. Yeah, so you work through the bulk of your glycogen reserves and then you're then forcing the body to utilize fat for fuel. Because your insulin levels are nice and low, that makes it easier. So remember like the benefits of a lower carbohydrate or ketogenic diet uh, around, around having low insulin levels. Insulin is a fat storage hormone. So when we have low levels of insulin, our body has the ability to tap into the fats as a, as a fuel source. And so extending the overnight fast is just like a way of further strengthening the muscle, right? It's a way of further strengthening that fat burning ability, keeping that insulin nice and low. The fat coffee, the fatty coffee or the MCT coffee, it helps to mimic the fast. So if somebody needs like, I would call them training wheels, or if somebody needs a little bit of energy coming through, maybe it's somebody who's going to do low intensity exercise, but they just need a little something before they go and do that exercise. Uh, an MCT coffee or a, an MCT drink can help extend the fast but it doesn't impact insulin levels. So it mimics the fasting state. It still allows the fat burning to continue to take place, but you know, the individual might get a little kick from the, the fats that's, that's in that drink. So yeah, the practicalities, you're looking at that time between your last bite of one day, your first bite of the next day. Um, but then you've also got to look at your eating window. So like the fasting period, that could be 12 hours, 14 hours, 16 hours, maybe up to 18 hours, but then you've got to consider the eating window. So we're really looking at a 24 hour period. Yeah. So if it's a 12 hour fast, then it's a 12 hour eating window. If it's a 16 hour fast, then it's an eight hour eating window. And you've got to try and carry that out because otherwise you don't see the true benefits of the actual intermittent fasting protocol. So let's say you do want to go for a 16 out, 16, eight intermittent fast. You would finish your dinner at like 7.30 PM fast until 11.30 AM the next day and break your fast with a super nutrient dense meal. And then you would close your eating window again by 8 PM, sorry, by 7.30 PM that day. So it's the 16 hour fast followed by the eight hour eating window. And you just apply the same, I guess, rules to any fasting protocol, whether it was 12 and 12, 14 and 10, or, or 16 and 8. And Ali, you mentioned the eating window and the fasting window. Is that time specific as well? Is the times that you're fasting and consuming foods just as important as the actual duration of the fast as well? Or can it be manipulated for whatever situation that someone may be, i.e. if someone's doing night shift? for example? Yeah, really good question. So I guess there is research being done around the benefits of um, like circadian rhythm fasting. So trying to, you know, eat as the sun's going down, for example, and eat as the sun's coming up. Um, but in reality, some people can't do that. Yeah, because they are shift workers. Or for example, um, some of my clients who or athletes, you know, maybe they train every single morning and most of those training sessions are high intensity. So they can't keep fasting after the training session. 
but if it's an athlete that let's needs let's say needs to improve their meta, metabolic flexibility or maybe they need to lose a little bit of weight before event day then we'd look at the practicalities okay you can't fast until 11 a.m you've really got to have a post-training you know brekkie by 8 a.m so therefore let's start the fast earlier the day before yeah whether it mean having a um like a four o'clock dinner for example dinner in inverted commas um so yeah look you you can change you can change the timing of the meals to suit your suit your schedule. Yeah, cool. I think that's a, a really important thing to highlight that it's highly personalized and, and, you know, yes, there's some fantastic benefits to fasting, but it may, those windows may not be practical for you. So just applying whatever is practical to, to your lifestyle. And I guess that's where working with a uh, experienced professional like yourself comes, comes into play. Yeah. Yeah, it is highly personal. And I should also, like I haven't even said it yet, but the idea is not necessarily to practice intermittent fasting every day of the week, right? You know, there are there are some people who are highly ready to do intermittent fasting every day of the week. So I would say people in that category would be like postmenopausal women, quite healthy men, those with good appetite control. You know, they'd be people who maybe if they've practiced intermittent fasting for a long period of time and fit those categories, maybe fit the bill for practicing a form of intermittent fasting every day of the week. But that's not really the intention of the protocol. Like the intention is for people to build intermittent fasting in, you know, a day, maybe a couple of days per week, you know, maybe on alternate days of the week. Um, So when we're talking about extending the overnight fast and closing the eating window, it's not, you know, the thought process should not be, oh, I have to do that on every single day of the week. The thought process should more be like, ah, okay, what days of my week actually allow me to do that? So what I encourage people to do is to look at their week ahead of time and look at, you know, what work commitments do they have? And then what training commitments do they have? And then layer your your eating schedule on top of that. So if you know that like Tuesdays are rest morning and Fridays are rest morning, well, they're really great days to start playing around with your extended overnight fast because you've got, you know, very little, you know, external, I guess, variables impacting your ability to extend the overnight fast on those days yeah Um, because you really don't want to extend your overnight fast on a day where you've got well for the vast majority of us on a day where you need to eat post-exercise so on a day where you're exercising Um, but on those for those individuals who are fat adapted there is a little caveat there So if you're fat adapted, you've got that metabolic flexibility that we've talked about previously on the show, but but essentially it's that individual who is, you know, well, like well tuned uh, into being able to use their fat stores as well as their their muscle glycogen stores. They've got that flexibility to to go between the the different fuel sources. Um, If you're somebody that's fat adapted and you're doing low intensity exercise, so you're going, you know, to roll the legs over for for a 50 minute run, for example, or you're going to do a a yoga class, then you actually could continue to to fast beyond those training sessions. Because we think about it, those training sessions, because they're low intensity, because they're aerobic, 
they're going to be supported primarily by fat anyway. So there's not as much requirement for like a post-training recovery meal after those types of sessions. So for some people that the fat adapted individuals, it would be quite safe to continue to fast after those types of training sessions. And Ali, this is actually a great segue into the topic that we parked earlier before. Say someone has just done a tough session like you did this morning with Hills and you had planned to do the intermittent fast, but you intuitively knew that maybe that's not going to be possible today. Why is it so important to replenish those stores that you lost and replace those nutrients that you lost during this session after a high intensity session? Um, Primarily to, to support your recovery and to keep you a sane person for the rest of the day. So, um, and obviously to support, you know, muscle maintenance and support you being able to train the next day. So it's about recovery. So if you're doing an, if you end up doing an anaerobic training session whereby you're tapping into muscle glycogen stores um, and reserves to fuel that training session, remembering muscle glycogen is like a limited, a limited source. You're, you're best suited to replenishing that muscle glycogen in the 60 to 90 minutes post-training. That's when the body is primed to be able to take the carbohydrates that are there, part of your post-training meal and replenish those muscle glycogen stores. The signs of not getting on top of things and not replenishing those stores would be perhaps later in the day, you do experience the hangries and you do experience fatigue or the next day you go to exercise and you've got those dead legs, those heavy legs, you just you, you can't move them because you hadn't replenished that muscle glycogen. Um, so it's, it's really about recovery. It's about making sure that you as an individual as well as an athlete recover in the best way possible from that training session and don't, you know, don't get the negatives, don't get the, the, the low energy, the low mood, the, the, um, the poor ability to train the next day, um, potentially muscle hypertrophy. So they're the things you've got to consider. Yeah, definitely. And I guess that's where we bring it back to the intuitive discussion that we were having earlier. Like you really have to be aware with your body's signs and symptoms and the things that it's telling you and take a look deeper and, and ask yourself, why are these things happening to me? Is it because yeah. I had that extended fast yesterday after a tough session or, or, example yeah exactly and um, i'm just going to correct myself because i said hypertrophy and i meant atrophy um uh, but yeah you've got to be able to listen to your body and so like i said before if you dive too quickly into intermittent fasting and you're not fat adapted you just decide to start fasting 16 hours and 16 hours a day um that you've got to be careful of the signs which would be irritability and hangries and detraining you know not being able to lift as much not being able to run as fast um uh low mood uh, i'm not sure if i said irritability but that's definitely one as well and for females it's paying attention to the menstrual cycle um because hormone health is is health and for females that's another big barometer of um whether or not intermittent fasting is working for them now obviously that's not a barometer that you can use on a day-to-day basis um, but it's a barometer that you can use over a period of time um, when you're building in intermittent fasting 
Yeah, definitely. Totally agree, Ali. And you mentioned earlier in the conversation regarding low calorie and zero calorie drinks and foods and things like that. In regards to like when you're looking at intermittent fasting, I know for me, I've come across some articles that are saying they're putting a caloric value on what constitutes a fast and what breaks a fast. And that that's when some people sort of take it onto their own account to start crunching numbers and utilize low calorie sweetened drinks like Coke Zero and, and utilize those during a fast. What yeah. sort of, I guess, breaking that down further, is are we still going to be in a fasted state while we're consuming those things? Is there enough research out there to say that that is ruining it? Uh, I certainly don't support the use of um, uh, low calorie um, or non, I don't support the use of low calorie sweetened uh, beverages during the fasted period um, because there is the potential that even just the sweet nature of those foods induce an insulin response. So there is some evidence to suggest that, um, you know, our body is so well geared to dealing with carbohydrate that even as soon as there's sweetness there on the tongue, it sets off the chain reaction of like an insulin response to help then clear the, the suspected um, glucose that's coming in the system. So I don't recommend having um, sweetened beverages during the fasted period for that reason. Uh, I don't recommend having protein or carbohydrates during the fasted period because of the potential insulin response. And so really the, the, only, the only things that I would look at would be pure water, um, things like green tea, things like black coffee, and then maybe building up to or maybe utilising something like the MCT coffee slash bulletproof coffee. Uh, and I'd really work with the individual to depend to look at what's most appropriate for them. So like strictly speaking, a fast would have no calories, right? No calories. Um, but I, I used the word before or the term before mimicked fast. So that's where you bring in some calories, but only in the form of fats. Uh, and it's a matter of looking at the individual to determine, you know, are they ready for a strict, like no calorie fast, or do they need to do a little more mimicked fasting um, in order to like prepare themselves for pure fasting um, or because of, you know, um, they're a female perhaps, and they need to have a little bit of something in the system before they go and do some training. Yeah, so, and, and then it's a matter of learning from the individual as well. So like if I'm working with somebody who's doing a mimicked fast, um, but has great, really great appetite control, um, finds the fasting period quite easy, but maybe isn't getting the results that we're after. So maybe isn't seeing the shift in body fat that, the, that we're after, then I might say, right, let's go down to a pure fast. And let's see if your body responds better to having no calories during that, that fasting period. I guess there's just not enough research. There's not enough hard evidence and research around, um, you know, what that calorie figure should be during the fasted period if you're allowing calories, for example. So that's why I take it on an individual basis as to, you know, whether there's some mimicked fasting going on or if it's pure fasting that we're doing. Yeah, cool. I, again, it's highly personalized and it's a really, really personalized matter to, to be working with. Ali, now naturally when we're cl 
when we're mimicking, not mimicking, when we're reducing, you put the word mimicking in my head. I'm like constantly thinking I actually like that word. So I'm trying to use it yeah. as much as possible. <laughs> <laughs> when we're restricting our eating window, we're naturally going to be in a calorie deficit without us even trying really hard because essentially you're just missing a meal. If like just in layman's terms like that, are there any really important nutrients to consider or any important things to consider when fasting during your eating window while doing intermittent fasting? Mm. So in response to the first part of your question, um, there is some really interesting evidence to show that it's literally the fasting period itself that induces the benefits. So the reduced insulin, the fat burning ability, the increased insulin sensitivity, um, regardless of color is consumed during the, the eating period. But what I find in reality in clinic is that most people just can't cram what they used to eat in a, you know, a 12 hour eating window into an eight hour eating window. So then yes, naturally there is a level of um, calorie restriction that happens in that period, but the benefit of the form of calorie restriction, especially when you've, you know, trained that fasting muscle is that it's not difficult. There's not a feeling of lack of um, because when you get into a fat burning mode and you become fat adapted, the 16 hours becomes really easy. Like the 16 hour fast is not stressful. It doesn't feel overwhelming. It's just easy. Almost it brings people extra time in their day to get on with other stuff rather than making breakfast. Um, and then therefore it's easy as well to get through the eight hour eating window with fewer, like fewer calories or fewer meals than you previously would have eaten. So what I often see people just naturally, I guess, gearing to is having two meals and maybe a snack in that eight hour eating window. Um, so that's, let's say a meal at 11.30 and a, a meal at 7 p.m. and a snack somewhere there in the middle, or it could be a meal if they're feeling like they need it. Again, it's, it's highly dependent on the individual. Um, in terms of nutrients that people are getting, uh, and I guess this is one of the reasons why I don't recommend doing it every day of the week because then it compounds. So it's like seven days of just two meals and one snack. And then you, you do run the risk of, um, I guess, missing out on potentially like adequate fiber and calcium and, um, and iron and things like that. But by and large, if you're doing intermittent fasting on a couple of days a week, there's, there's no major pitfalls to be aware of. I'd say you've, you've got to make up for your vegetable intake. So if the goal is six cups of vegetables over the course of the day and you're reducing your intake to two meals and a snack, then you've got to, you've got to make up for that. So you've got to make sure that there's vegetables over those meals and snacks. Um, when it comes to protein, you've got to make sure that you're getting that serving of protein with each of your main meals. And for some men, this means that there's got to be protein with that snack as well. Um, and I would say specifically those men who, who do train and, and train and have high training volumes and want to maintain muscle mass. Um, but the, the rest tends to even itself out. You know, if you go into the process of intermittent fasting as somebody that has really healthy iron levels, healthy B12 levels, good bone mineral density, then um, you're not going to have to start, you know, supplementing because of doing the intermittent fasting. Does that help to answer the question? 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, it does. I guess further extending on that question, and you touched on it before about like athletes and how they potentially can use intermittent fasting, but can also be really detrimental. Is it safe for athletes to be doing intermittent fasting based on their higher energy expenditure, therefore requiring more like nutrients than the standard general person? Uh, my short answer to that question is yes, like absolutely it's safe, um, but it all depends a little bit on how they're using intermittent fasting and also the type of athlete that it is. So like for endurance athletes, there's a lot of benefits to using intermittent fasting because remember our endurance athletes, they in particular want that metabolic flexibility because they want to be able to go for 14 hours at a time and really tap into those fat reserves to help fuel, you know, if you're a triathlete, help fuel the, the bike and the run that's got to come after swimming as well. And so that metabolic flexibility is really important for that type of endurance athlete. And the intermittent fasting is just one way of extending that metabolic flexibility and that fat burning capacity. Um, and it's been shown to, to certainly support endurance capacity. Um, I think it was um, Sachin Panda, S-A-T-C-H-I-N Panda, um, who, was, who did research on uh, athletes and endurance capacity and intermittent fasting supporting, supporting that. So you've got your endurance athletes, but don't forget when, it's, when you're doing anaerobic exercise, so when it's power, when it's you know, pushing, pulling, sprinting, hills, that sort of stuff, um, then whilst metabolic flexibility would still help those activities, you don't want to practice your intermittent fasting at the expense of a post-training recovery meal. Yeah. Um, so if you're doing that sort of training, you need to be able to sit down and have something to eat in the 60 to 90 minutes post-training. In terms of going into the session fasted, Again, that's individual. So evidence would suggest that there's no negatives for um, an individual going and doing like, let's say a weights or a power-based session um, in the early part of the day on an empty stomach and certainly, you know, not negatives for the endurance athlete. Um, but some people just need to listen to their bodies. And if they find that they're not getting as much out of the session, then they may need to they might, if they find they're not getting as much out of their sessions as they previously would have, then, you know, they may be suited to having something to eat prior to the training session. And it's all trial and error, right? Like you, your own greatest test. I mean, I'm sure you've, you guys would have known Ali mentions this a million and one times in our previous podcast that, you know, you've got to be able to try and manipulate things where it's safe on your own body, like no evident, no bit of, you know, information is going to be applicable for everyone. It's got to be trial and error based on yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Because everybody is different. Like you can't say that, and of course, you know, you want to look to the evidence, but yeah, everybody is different. And you so you've got to look at your own set of circumstances. Um, you know, there is, there is a lot of talk at the moment now because intermittent fasting has become so vogue and people are using it a lot for, you know, improving insulin sensitivity and improving their fat burning ability, improving their endurance capacity and, you know, halting the aging process through supporting autophagy. 
now there is pushback coming from like female camps saying, well, females shouldn't be intermittent fasting. And um, the reality is, is that a lot of the research is done on men. So I agree to some degree uh, around like the concerns of females doing intermittent fasting, because a lot of the research is done on men. So you can't necessarily apply the same theory to women because we have a very different um, you know, horm hormonal fluctuations or we have hormonal fluctuations that, that men don't have over the course of the month. But if you've got a female who has slowly geared up to intermittent fasting for years or slowly trained their body to train in the fasted state over a period of years, then it's very different comparing that female who's practicing some intermittent fasting with a female who just decided she wanted to lose some weight and overnight starts doing 16, eight, four days a week. Um, that's the sort of scenario that would really be, really be detrimental to that female's menstrual cycle, their reproductive capacity, their hormone balance. But to somebody who's really um, progressively built up to intermittent fasting, then there'd be much less impact on the nervous system and hormone balance and, and product, reproductive health. Yeah, definitely love that. And I guess, are there any populations of people that you would not prescribe intermittent fasting for, like pregnant women or things like that? Absolutely. Yeah. So women trying to conceive, pregnant women, breastfeeding women, individuals on insulin or um, blood sugar controlling medication, unless they've had approval from their doctor. Uh, individuals on medication should always probably um, get approval from their doctor as well. Individuals with um, history of disordered eating, certainly um, uh, let's say unresolved disordered eating. And I guess it's always hard to say how resolved any case of disordered eating is but they would be the main categories of individuals who'd not be suited to intermittent fasting. Yeah. I think that's a really important thing to highlight. Often as humans, we hear something and we're like, Oh yeah, done. I'm going to do it. But really important to, you know, consider your own personal circumstances and really chat with someone who knows you and your, your medical history before taking on anything as big as yeah. something like this. Yeah, definitely. It, and because intermittent fasting is so vogue, like that's such a relevant point. Like I said before, like you don't want to just dive into it because your best friend's brother is doing it. And similarly, what I often hear is people saying, oh, um, I now don't eat until one o'clock because I heard somebody else say that they don't eat till one o'clock and it's really helped them. And that's not the correct way of looking at intermittent fasting. We're actually looking at, as you all now know, we're looking at, manipulating overnight fast and the eating window so to say i don't eat now until one o'clock well it's like well when did you have dinner because you could have stopped eating at midnight you could be someone that you know snacks away on chips until midnight and therefore that fast is you know a 13 hour fast it's not going into that 14 16 hour overnight fast no that's an extreme example because not a lot of people are staying up snacking until midnight but I guess what I'm trying to highlight is that understand what it is that you're doing. You know, your mate might not be eating until one o'clock because they always finish eating dinner at like, what would that be? <laughs> Nine o'clock. Yeah. Um, I'm still trying so, to figure that out. So I'm glad you said that. <laughs> 
Um, you just take the number and add four and go to the next day. <laughs> um, so you've got to understand what it is that you're doing. Understand that like your intermittent fasting protocol is based on fasting periods, eating windows and the duration of them, not just the time on the clock, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a really, really important thing to highlight as well, Ali. I guess I forgot to mention this earlier in the podcast, but before we take it anywhere further regarding like the use of fasting as a, like a healing modality or a treatment, is there any relevance to the first meal post your fast? And should there, is there any research regarding what that meal should be? I know I personally have read some things regarding that the just to aid some digestion and help with the digestive ease and stuff like that, that the first meal should be fruit or something containing like that's easier for the body to break down. I'm not sure if there's anything from your end that you've heard regarding that and if that's important at all. Yeah, certainly for a more extended fast, so like beyond intermittent fasting, for a more extended fast, uh, like maybe a 24-hour fast or moving into a 36- or a 48-hour fast, I'd certainly say um, ease into the eating window, yeah? So it might be something like, like a green juice, for example, um, and then you ease into eating like an hour or so later. But in let's say like the scenario of intermittent fasting where it's more just like an extension of a slightly regular overnight fast, you know, so like a 12 hour, 14 hour, 16 hour. Um, I don't, I don't, don't subscribe to having something lighter and and then having something um, heavier, you know, an hour or so later. Um, Usually it's about trying to make that your most nutrient dense meal of the day so that you're really like nourishing the cells that, you know, basically haven't had access to, sort of fresh nutrients for the past sort of 12, 16 hours. And I guess if there's any like further digestive discomfort, there may be something else present there. So it's important to highlight that, that you may need some, something else resolved in that department. Yeah. And, and also noting that again, this comes down to like, are you ready for intermittent fasting? So if you've, you're so ravenous that you've got to break the fast with a meal that's beyond the size of a regular meal. So let's be clear, like, of course, there's relativity, but, you know, a meal should be, you know, two cups of veggies, a portion of protein, one to two serves of quality fats and maybe carbohydrates, depending on the training session that was done prior to the meal or the individual's goals. But that's roughly what a meal looks like. And so if you, you know, if you've got eyes bigger than your stomach because of that fast and you, you consume well above that and then you're left with digestive discomfort, well, then you might not actually be ready for that length of a fast. You may have to actually pair the fast back a little bit so that you do have control going into that first meal of your eating window. Um, and I often find that there's a lot of digestive comfort to be gained from intermittent fasting because you are giving the digestive system a break for a period of time and the digestion drains a lot of energy from the body. So you're giving it a break uh, and for a lot of people that really helps to resolve bloating and discomfort from their eating. So yeah, if you're feeling discomfort from the meal that breaks your fast in the case of intermittent fasting, then you've got to look at, well, are you eating too much as part of that, that post fast meal? Or yes, is there something else going on? Is there something within that meal or a lack of digestive capacity? 
um, you know, maybe driven by stress or some other underlying factors which could be impacting. Yeah, so, so vital. Ali, back to what I was mentioning before, we, we're speaking about intermittent fasting and I guess we're not really diving into extended periods of fasting, but is there anything in the way of the research regarding the use of intermittent fasting for certain chronic conditions and how that may be used as a, I guess, a treatment or a prevention point of view, or is the research still very, very early in that department? Um, yeah, I mean, one of the reasons fasting was developed was to support ketosis for those with epilepsy um, because the ketogenic diet's been used um, to support those with epilepsy so I guess you know you could consider that um, you know a chronic illness that's certainly being supported with intermittent fasting and if we look at metabolic conditions which are certainly a a chronic illness um, then yeah there's a wealth of um, information and evidence to support the use of intermittent fasting for those metabolic conditions So remembering that intermittent fasting is an extension of a lower carbohydrate diet. So it's the, I guess, that additional tool which helps to support fat burning ability. And so with that, the evidence shows that intermittent fasting helps with lowering triglyceride levels. It helps with improving LDL particle um, size and spread. It also helps with reducing blood pressure, reducing weight. So here we are like supporting or mitigating all of these, um, I guess, risk factors associated with metabolic disease, which is a chronic health condition for what portion of people in the West, like 40% or something like that at the moment. Yeah. It's really crazy how, how prevalent it is becoming in our society and how it's almost deemed quote unquote normal to, to be sick. Yeah, I was actually just listening to an interview yesterday. Um, I think it was Mark Sisson um, and Joe Rogan. I actually never listened to the Joe Rogan podcast, but I decided to listen to that interview. I think it was two days ago. Anyway, they were talking about the the potential negative implications of like telling people off for fat shaming. You know, we're trying to celebrate um, diversity and um there's a yes there's a degree in which we have to celebrate the diversity in body shapes and size but there's no getting around the fact that if you're like overweight obese morbidly obese we can't celebrate the fact that that is categorically a risk factor for metabolic disease and death (laughs) you know Definitely. And it comes down to the lens we're looking at. Like if we're looking at it from a point of health and longevity, that doesn't really fit the the criteria necessarily because those are high risk factors for chronic disease and, you know, early life span and things like that. Yeah, exactly. It's a whole other big topic. And I think we should celebrate confidence and happiness regardless of, you know, what you look like. We should absolutely celebrate that. Um, but we can't celebrate a chronic disease risk factor. And the you know I mean? It would be the exactly, yeah, it'd be exactly the same as saying, oh, look at you, you've got high blood pressure, good on you, that's great. Like it's not, <laughs> it's dangerous. <laughs> definitely, yeah. definitely, I love that. Now, Ali, coming to the end of the podcast, do you have any other final bits of wisdom or any other considerations or things to mention regarding the fasting topic? I 
I just really want to reiterate this, this notion of intuitive fasting. So I have seen and therefore believe that intermittent fasting done correctly can support people from, you know, in various stages of their life, but you can't delve into or you can't dive into it until you're ready. So you've got to have that strength and that appetite control to be able to go from meal to meal firstly, you know, without needing to snack in between. Um, and that like that is step one. So I just, yeah, I just want to reiterate, ease your way into it, listen to your body in the process and appreciate that just because you've become aware of this thing called intermittent fasting, you don't need to start tomorrow doing a 16-8 fast seven days of the week. You don't even start tomorrow doing a 16-8 fast. You might start looking at whether you can do a 12-12 fast. So yeah, do it intuitively, listen to your body and in the process you'll be helping to get the benefits of intermittent fasting as opposed to some of the potential downsides of intermittent fasting. I absolutely could not agree more. The power of listening to your body and actually being in tune with what's happening is is incredible in all domains, in particular within the fasting realm as well. Yeah, totally. Ali, thank you so much for your time today. It was incredible to be able to pick your brain. I'm sure we're going to have millions of other topics that we're going to break down further. Um, But for anyone that had any light bulb moments and they're keen to give this fasting a shot and want to chat with you further about this, where can they get in contact? So my website's just the easiest place to find me and to learn more from me. And that's nutritionally. So nutrition followed by E L L Y.com. And yet you can, you can find me there and contact me there as well. Amazing. And I think this is a little personal PB for the podcast. I've gone a whole podcast episode without Buddy barking for everyone at home. So I'm absolutely stoked. Oh, that's so good. Well done, buddy. <laughs> I was scared that my puppy might bark and she hasn't either. So <laughs> but both not- parenting, right? <laughs> I know, right? But he's notorious. As soon as I press record, he just starts howling. <laughs> oh. Oh. He wants to chat to daddy too. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much, Ali, for that. Thanks, Matt. Appreciate it. Well, there you have it, friends. What an absolute wealth of knowledge Ali is. It was so great to be able to sit down and pick her brain about a topic that is very hot in the community guys i hope that you learned a thing or two about intermittent fasting and i hope that this inspired you to really take a cautious approach when utilizing this tool and having sustainability and longevity at the forefront of this decision Guys, thanks again for tuning in to the show this week and I can't wait to hear the feedback and hear some of the results from your intermittent fasting journeys. Guys, don't forget to leave a rating and review for the podcast and please send me your feedback via Instagram. I know Ali and I would love to stay in contact with you guys and the whole Euphoria Health community. Hope you have a fantastic week and I'll see you next time on the podcast. Bye for now.